Thank you, Bethany and Mariah. That was an amazing song. That was, that was amazing. Whew. Well, thank you, choir. Thank you, praise band. Uh, that last song was absolutely amazing, and it fits perfectly with my lesson, which is so great. You know what I was just thinking? Nathan Harrison, he gets up here. He can preach for 30 minutes without even looking. He doesn't even have any notes or anything. It's all from memory every single time, 30, 35 minutes, doesn't even make one mistake. I don't even have a clue what I'm going to say right now if I didn't have my notes. I don't even know what would be the next thing I would say. Nathan, that's, that's unbelievable what you do. I, have, I don't even know what's going on right now. Anyway, actually it tells me to say good morning, West Bulls. Uh, <laughs> The snowstorm, a, a little bit crazy. I mean, it was a little hyped up this weekend. I heard reports that we were going to have anywhere from like 6 to 18 inches of snow. And maybe we got 2 to 3 inches down here. I mean, it was not that bad at all. I mean, it was, everyone was freaking out. Oh my gosh, it wasn't even that bad. Well, uh, I've been up here. Uh, hundreds of times to do announcements, to do the welcome, uh, to, you know, to say, hello, to say hello to everybody. You know, I usually try to say something stupid or make fun of somebody. I mean, I've done that hundreds of, hundreds of times, but this is my, only my second time up here uh, teaching, so I'm both uh, a little excited to share with everybody this morning. I'm also a little bit nervous. If anybody was out in that foyer the last 10 minutes, I was walking back and forth, pacing. I probably should have just, you know, done a half marathon or something like that to, just to relax me a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little nervous. Actually, Joe gave me some great wisdom this morning. Uh, Joe Meany said, just imagine everybody's in their underwear. So thanks, Joe, for that. I will <laughs> not do that. I will not do that. Anyway, uh, so I actually remember the first time I ever taught here at West Bowls. It was the, I taught the junior high kids over in the youth building. This was a long, long time ago when I first started working here at the church. And I had a, I think a 17-page lesson with 17 points. So actually, I'm doing the same thing today. I have 17 <laughs> points today to go through. It'll be great. No, just kidding. I will definitely not do that to you. Well, uh, twice a year. We have uh, daylight savings, and there's the good one and the bad one, and today is the bad one. And it's no coincidence that Todd really, really wanted me to preach today. Ryan, you need to preach March 10th. March 10th is for you, Ryan. That'll be a great date for you to preach. Thanks, Todd. Half the people are asleep right now. The other half are sleeping at their house because it's actually... Well, actually, the clock says 9.33, so, but it's really 10.33. But anyway, uh, thank you for that, Todd. Well, today is March 10th, and if you uh, looked on Facebook, today is a very uh, special day for me. Today is my 18th spiritual birthday. And if you remember from my, my testimony that I shared with the last time I was up here, oh, thank you. Thank you. It's my birthday. We should have cake and balloons or something. Anyway, so it's my 18th spiritual birthday. I became a Christian right out there in the parking lot, in the church bus, 18 years ago on March 10th, 1995. And so today is an exciting day. It also marks the first time that I can say I have been a Christian for over half my life. And I can also um, say... Um, 
Well, yeah, so I've been a Christian for 18 years, and I can also say that I've been a Christian for, uh, for about as long as my wife has been alive. So, and I'm just kidding, but I'm exaggerating. Well, but I'm not exaggerating by that much. Uh, it also marks the first time that I can say uh, that I'm 5'7", uh, because I had to get a new driver's license the other day, and when they asked me how tall I am, what's your height, I was like, uh, 5'7". You know, I just rounded up to the nearest, nearest inch, you know. Um, so then I started thinking, every time I have to go get a new driver's license, I'll just keep going up another inch. I'll be 5'11 before I know it, so I'm just growing. Anyway, it's great. Well, now before we get started this morning, I want to recap part one and part two uh, of this amazing series uh, that we started last month. So part one, we were looking at discover identity. Who are you? Who are we? But more specifically, who are we in Christ? Nathan also talked about the labels that were, get, uh, that were given. He mentioned that I called him gutterball when he first came into youth group. When I first came into youth group, uh, some of them had seen a picture of when I was growing up, and they saw that I had a huge birthmark in the middle of my forehead. So Nathan, they called you gutterball. They called me third eye because I had a big, you know, big brown mark in the middle of my head. That was the label I was given. So, but his lesson was about not looking to how the world labels us, but looking at the identity Christ gives us. Christ defines our identity we find our identity and purpose through Christ's redeeming work on the cross. Part two of this series was find community. We looked at the fact that we all feel alone at times. That was actually even mentioned in that mops bill. That one woman said that. We all feel alone at times and that we need to stick together. We need each other. We are made to be communal. And we talked about we all have a part to play in this community. We need each other. The church is to be a place where we can be or experience unity and diversity and accept one another despite our differences. This is to be a safe place where we can show empathy to each other. This community, and when I say this community, the, these people here at West Bowles have made a huge impact on my life. They've made a huge difference in my life. I've received so much love and support and encouragement over the years. You are all a part of my family. Even last week, Jan Fugler stopped me after the service, and she's like, Ryan, it's so amazing to see how God has brought your family together, together and all these different things. And then later that night, I got an email from How Fast, an encouraging email. All of you have meant so much to me. In fact, my identity in Christ has been shaped by the community that I have found here. A lot of churches follow the model that you believe first, then you behave, and then you belong. I love the fact I walked into this church almost 20 years ago and that almost instantly I felt that I belonged here. I was accepted. I was loved for who I was. And then God grabbed a hold of my life and my heart. 
and then I was changed. In fact, I'm still changing today. For me, the process went belong, believe, behave. I love the fact that we are known as the friendly church. This community of people are very loving, friendly, accepting, and we have a a family-like feel here. And I'm excited for the day that we all get to sit down at the Lord's table in heaven and worship and dine together for eternity. Now part three starts this morning. It's called Make a Difference Inside and Outside. We're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan to see how one empathetic person can make a difference in someone, in somebody else's life. I'm hoping that this parable, the Holy Spirit, and what I say this morning motivates you and me to make a difference and learn how we can help and love others in need. If you you might be thinking, Ryan, we just heard you teach this in Dave Beatty's class last month. That's true. I added some things. I changed it a bit. Uh, So it's it's a little bit different. It's just too fitting not to share this morning. And I guess you're in luck. You get to hear it twice. So uh, pull out your Bibles and let's turn to Luke 10, 25 and let's jump right in. Now, if you notice, I do have a new Bible. Uh, It has all the Gospels. It has the epistles, Revelation. The last time I came up here to preach, I was missing a few parts of the Bible, but I do know now how it ends, and it's awesome. So uh, <laughs> let's look at uh, Luke. Luke 10, 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me read verse 25 here. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We should pay attention right now. An expert in the law is asking Jesus, God in the flesh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is some powerful stuff here. Only twice in the Gospels is Jesus asked how one gains eternal life. The first time, Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you know, sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow me. And here's the second. It's right here, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus responds with this upside-down, shocking answer to this question. And I think we all want to know the answer to this question. We are all drawn to the idea of eternity. All of us in here have our stories of hurt. We all have our stories of of sadness, betrayal, loss, loneliness, despair, addiction, people that we love uh, losing their lives, death. To think a place with no more cancer, no more tears, no hunger, no death, and no wars. A place where we, can, where we can be eternally with our creator. I don't know about you, but that sounds refreshing. That sounds amazing. Our lives here in the grand scheme of eternity are so short 
Our lives are a mist that only pairs for a little while and then vanishes. It feels like I was just born, I blinked, and now I'm 35. I have hope in the fact that all things will be perfect in heaven as God intended. I've been on many mission trips to Peru, and one memory always sticks out in my mind. We went to a very, very poor place just outside of Lima, and we were doing an evangelistic outreach there. And afterwards, we went to a, a nearby church for dinner, and we're all inside this church, and we were waiting in line for our food, and we could see some kids through the window, and they were looking in. And we're kind of looking at them, kind of, you know, what are they doing? And they looked like they were hungry. It looked like they were looking at the food, and so we're just kind of like, oh, what's going on? Um, and we went outside to talk to them. And for the first time in my life, I saw starving kids. Now, in the States, when we say we're hungry or we're starving, uh, that means we haven't eaten for six hours. But down here, they hadn't eaten all day. And they ate this chicken that we gave them like a, like a hungry pack of wolves. They hadn't eaten all day. We ended up talking with them all night. And I told this one kid, I'll, re I'll think about you. I'll pray for you every single time I look up at the moon. My soul longs for a place where no one goes hungry. We had an atheist group come to our acacia group in January, and we had a friendly dialogue with them. And um, one comment that stood out um, that night to me, one of the atheists said, her friend's mom died last year. And when her friend asked, do you think I will see my mom again someday? The atheist, the atheist responded, there's, there's no such thing as heaven. To think that all of life, all of existence is what we can see and experience here and now, that makes me sad. My soul just knows there is something more beyond what we see here. I remember, uh, if you remember my testimony, I grew up, I grew up with not going to church, uh, never had opened a Bible Never really had a conversation about God. And in my journal, as you could see when I was a freshman, I was sad, I was lonely, I had no purpose. And yet I wrote in this journal, I think it was like 10,000 words, I wrote in one spot, in one sentence, something new inside of me knew that there was a God because I said, I said, there must be a God. We have been designed to long for a personal God who loves us and gives us purpose and that gives us hope in the afterlife. I have hope in the fact that for all those who live their lives now for God and others, get to continue that in the perfect place with God and others for eternity. So I want to listen intently on how Jesus responds to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm gonna read Luke 26. What is written in the law, he, he replied, how do you read it? Jesus asked, what, what have you read in the scriptures and what do you think about it? Or how do you interpret it? Luke 10, 27 and 28. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus, Jesus replied. Do this 
and you will live. Christ says, love God and love others. Hmm, I think we may have heard that before. Uh, Jesus says, do it and you will live. And remember, this is in context of eternal life. Read uh, Luke 10, 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The expert already knew the answer to this question. I love how Jesus responds to this question, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds with a parable. And in this parable, there are five people walking down this 17-mile road from um, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was not uncommon while walking on this desolate road for travelers to get robbed. Five people in this parable. One, peaceful traveler who gets beat up. Number two, the robber. Number three is the priest who performs religious duties and acts as in between, between God and man. The Levite, serve God and, and works in the temple. And then the Samaritan. They were hated and despised by the Jews. Jews saw Samaritans as demon-possessed and half-breeds. They were the bottom of the social ladder, and yet Jesus makes him the unlikely hero in this story. So now I'm going to read 30 through 32. In reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Two religious people walk by and show no compassion to somebody in need. They go to the other side and ignore the hurting person. They know the law. They know the Torah. They know the scriptures. They they actually have it memorized, all of it. But they don't act. They might have thought that they were doing right, doing the right thing by avoiding this injured man because they were trying to follow the purity laws. Like Todd shared with us three or four years ago, they couldn't even allow their shadows to touch a corpse or they would be considered impure. Religion back then and even now is often about what we shouldn't be doing. Rather, through this parable, Jesus shows us what we ought to. They're too busy working for God to care like God. Now comes in the hero of the story, the Samaritan, 33 through 36. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The question now becomes, which one proves he is a good neighbor by his actions? 1037. 
The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do the same thing. That is what Jesus is telling us this morning. Go and do likewise. Love for God can't just be, and we all know this, it can't just be up here. It must impact our daily moment-by-moment decisions that we make. A soul committed to him will fill us with compassion and we will see others that are in need. I hope we can take this parable, learn from it, and then broaden and apply it to our own lives now. I think these verses go beyond helping somebody on the side of the road. Now, it could mean that, but I think it goes beyond that. For me, these verses make me think, what are the needs that I see that are in my family or in the community or in this church or in the world that I'm simply walking by or ignoring? If we want to make a difference, we will start opening our eyes, seeing all the needs around us, and then responding to those needs. Real kingdom love, the upside down Jesus way of love, the agape unconditional love. It'll be difficult, sacrificial, and it'll be costly. In the book, The Upside Down Kingdom, the author talks about six main ideas that we can pull from this parable about what it means to show agape love to your neighbor. So I'm going to quickly, or not so quickly, go through these things. Number one, agape love is indiscriminate. Who is my neighbor? Everyone. Your worst enemy? They're your neighbor. Your next door neighbor? They're your neighbor. Fam- family, a family member who won't stop saying bad things about you or gossiping about you? They're your neighbor. The poor? your boss, that person who wronged you that you can rightfully hate, they're your neighbor. The homeless, they're your neighbor. Agape love in God's kingdom is all-inclusive. Everyone is your neighbor. What else can we learn from this parable? Number two, love is inconvenient. The religious saw and passed by on the other side. It was inconvenient for the Samaritan to help. He had to get off his donkey, put the injured person onto his donkey and then take him to the inn and give them, you know, I like the message translation wording. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. The Samaritan showed compassion and responded to the needs of the victim. How many times do we not help out because it is inconvenient? I know I do this all the time. A couple of weekends ago, I was at school, and uh, a homeless man asked me for money. And uh, nearly all, I mean, 99% of the time, you know, I don't carry cash. Um, So, and and I was late for class, and I needed to get to class, and I had to study for this quiz. Plus, I had all of these crazy things, like, swarming around in my head. Uh, I don't have time. I don't have any cash. Why can't he just go and get a job? He probably is abusing food stamps and the welfare system. He's probably lazy or drunk or the government can take care of him. All these things are going through my mind. Oh, somebody who has more money than me can take care of him. We justify 
why we don't or shouldn't help. We almost, at times, at least I just, we talk ourselves out of it. Anyway, I ended up using my credit card bottom Starbucks. But anyway, kingdom love is inconvenient. Number three, love is risky. The whole scene could have been a setup. What if the Samaritan stops to help the victim and then gets robbed? Agape love requires being vulnerable and is risky. This makes me think about how every year Brian Burns and John Trovinger drive across the Mexican border in the church van to go to Juarez to deliver uh, those Santa uh, shoe boxes that we make every single year. Hundreds of them drive right across the border. Love is risky. Number four, love takes time. The Samaritan takes time out of his busy schedule to help somebody in need. I have a friend named Sammy Shooting that I've known since he was around three years old. And he is, he's a busy man. He manages a Chipotle and he's getting married in, in a few months. In December, he was telling me about how he was reading a chapter in this book called Radical about multiplying community and that God was laying on his heart to make disciples. He is now a leader in the high school youth group. And guess what? That takes up a lot of time. My wife loves kids. Last year she became a CASA, which is a court-appointed social advocate. It took 50 hours of training, and she spends 8 to 12 hours a month volunteering to help kids in need. Takes time. My job here at West Bulls is going to be shifting soon. Um, right now I do community life, but I'm moving into sanitational engineering. And they, they tell me, it, they're saying it's a step up, so I'm pretty excited. I mean, they, they're like, oh yeah, this, this is a great, you know, upward move for you, Ryan. And so I'm, uh, they told me to be excited about it. No, just kidding. It's moving into uh, congregational care. And I'm very excited about this transition. Beverly Gould and I are going to a conference next month to get trained as Stephen's minister leaders. And if you don't know what Stephen's ministry is, it's about organized congregational care. And we are going to be looking for leaders right here in this group of people right here. We're going to be looking for leaders to help us out soon. It will be a major time commitment, but it will also be rewarding because you're coming alongside hurting people. And we'll have more details in the next couple of months, but I'm really excited about this, this new opportunity for our church. Another example, the other day, uh, my wife was going through a tough time, and a family in the church brought us over some food. Such a little thing can mean so much. Real kingdom, agape love, like we see in this parable, the Good Samaritan, will take up our time. Number five, love is expensive. The Samaritan gave the innkeeper enough money for 24 days of lodging and a blank check. There are needs in this church, community, and in this world that require our money. Imagine if there wasn't a West Bowles church. Imagine if the people of West Bowles hadn't tithed money. Where would Brett have invited me 20 years ago or whatever if there wasn't this place? I mean, maybe God could have reached me at a house church, but God met me here. 
the people here at West Bowles. They helped change my life. 18 years ago, God touched my heart and my soul in that bus sitting in that parking lot, in a bus in that parking lot. Now, maybe God could have reached me some other way, but he reached me here in a bus, in a parking lot, at a church. All of that takes money. All of this, all of this takes money. The church has had an eternal impact on thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world. It would be awesome someday just to talk about all the people that have, that have, have come through West Bowles, who are still go to West Bowles, who are loving others through Christ here and all over the world. Agape love will be expensive. David Platt, in the book Radical, wrote, the way we use our money is a barometer of our present spiritual condition. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to sleep in my comfy bed, in my warm house, and I wonder why. I have so much, yet the rest of the world has so little. We are all rich in comparison to the rest of the world. We actually are even, in fact, rich in comparison to the rest of the United States. In Littleton, uh, Littleton has almost twice the average household income in comparison to the rest of the U.S. Billions, billions of people live in poverty. And, and that number, it's like out there, it's kind of hard to connect to it. It's abstract. But what do we do? Too many of us or maybe even my, myself included, we get overwhelmed, and guess what? We do nothing. We pass right on by on the, other, on the other side. We justify why we don't. Somebody else will take care of it, whatever. A very sad statistic. Every 24 hours in the world, so every day, 26 hours, Thousand children die from starvation or preventable diseases. That would be equivalent to filling up this sanctuary with kids every single hour, every day. And they die due to hunger and preventable diseases. We all, and I know I do this too, we get wrapped up in our lives and our wants and our bills and our retirement or whatever, and we almost forget or we ignore the needs of others. Brittany Everett in the uh, coffee shop, she sent me a verse this week. It's somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> it's, are you serious? How many times can I flip through here? Sheesh, okay. <laughs> James 2, 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a, a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. David Platt writes, why not begin operating under the idea that God has given us excess, not so we could have more, but so that we could give more. Agape love is expensive. Number six, and the last one, love jeopardizes social status. The Samaritan's reputation and social status was probably tarnished. He might have even been considered a traitor. And I was even thinking, in this culture now, by claiming that Christ is the answer to the spiritual needs, we may be ridiculed or our, our reputation ruined. How do we make a difference in this world? We love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The Samaritan shows us what true love looks like. Upside down, kingdom, agape love will be indiscriminate, inconvenient, risky, takes time, expensive, and jeopardizes social status. Love is more than warm, fuzzy feelings, more than a smile or a good attitude. We all know that. It's costly. How are we, how are you, how am I making a difference in this world? Chelsea and I started a giving board in our kitchen where we pin up the different ministries and missions and charities that we volunteer or give money to. It helps remind us of what we are doing and it motivates us to want to do more. It reminds us of what's important. Brett made a difference in my life. He showed me love. It was indiscriminate. I was the punk, loud, obnoxious, foul-mouthed kid at Chatfield. It was indiscriminate. It was inconvenient. He had to keep bringing me to youth group. He was, you know, having me, you know, meet all of his friends, and it was taking up his time at youth group. It was inconvenient. He had to pick me up. It was risky. Maybe I would reject him. Maybe I would reject the church. Maybe I would reject his God. It took time. Jeopardizes social status. I was uh, the party boy, and he was inviting me to the church. Jesus told the expert of the law, go and do likewise. Go and live out that kind of love, that kind of empathy, that kind of mercy, this kind of love, this agape love is indiscriminate, inconvenient, risky, takes time, expensive, and jeopardizes social status. That kind of love will make a difference in the church, in the community, in our families, and in the world. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you so much for your word. Father God, we just pray that we can leave here and do what you want us to do, that we can be the love that you want us to be for others. And we pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for letting me share with you this morning. It was great.
Thank you. Have a great day. Be careful of the roads. Be careful of the roads. <laughs>